What up, film fans? Um, this is, I suppose, an emergency pod. Uh, <clears throat> what the plan was for this episode to come out was for it to be a two-way conversation. It would have been a pod first for me, a two-way conversation uh, between myself and my good friend, Lucy Rose Hutchinson. But unfortunately, um, most of the footage that we recorded was problematic. And hopefully you can't hear the sound of that fan on my laptop, which seems to, I don't know, I think it wants to blow up or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, unfortunately, some of the audio didn't record very well. Lots of the video footage <clears throat> got lost because it was done over Zoom and all of that. Um, but it was the first time I'd ever attempted one of those sorts of podcast recordings and it didn't go to plan. But lessons learned and next time... It will be better. Um, and after a few hours of trying to puzzle piece all the sort of different bits of corrupted footage and whatnot together, I just realized it was uh, not going to be worth it ultimately. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Lucy, but what I'm going to try and do instead is pick up the pieces and essentially go through some of the points that we were talking about uh, on my own in this one in time for it to come out tomorrow, which will be Monday the 23rd for all of you lovely listeners and viewers. Um, the whole premise of the podcast that we were doing was primarily for The Last of Us because the new series came out last week, so episode two will be out tomorrow, hopefully when this podcast drops. Uh, but then also, both Lucy and I were quite are quite big fans of games, but specifically games that have like uh, really good narratives or good stories and stories as narratives, good characters, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, <clears throat> so yeah, we're kind of talking through that sort of stuff. Sorry, I got something stuck on my throat. I'm just, I'm just gonna have a sip of kombucha. Ugh. Lovely jubbly. Anyway, um, so there will be spoilers galore for The Last of Us one and two video games, and then also the first episode of The Last of Us TV show. Um, and if there's spoilers for other games along the way, I will try and remember to give you a heads up before that happens so without further ado has anyone played like i'm asking this like you're gonna answer me has anyone played the last of us one and two both fantastic games fantastic games my experience of the last of us was odd because well not odd but like you know, the first one came out on ps3 in i don't know maybe 2013 something like that right and i had for some reason converted to xbox 360 at that point so I grew up with a PS1 and a PS2, and then all my friends moved over to Xbox, so I moved over to Xbox as well so that I could play games with them. Didn't get a PS3, and I only got a PS4 in like maybe 2019. So I was in uni in 2013. Um, I'm going to a friend's house to help them move house, uh, but we have to wait for someone else to arrive. I think they had a car or something. I can't quite remember what it was. Um, and my friend's like, Oh, should we just play PlayStation while we wait? So I'm like, yeah, cool. Uh, the Last of Us was in the PlayStation. So before he ejected it, I was like, oh, I've heard about that game. It's meant to be pretty good. He was like, oh, you haven't played it, man. You've got to play this. It's so good. So I sat down. I played that opening bit. And like I say, spoiler alert, the opening bit is basically the first half of the first episode of The Last of Us show that's just come out. And you get introduced to... Joel and his daughter Sarah, uh, the outbreak starts, they get caught up in the midst of it and all of that. 
and unfortunately Sarah gets shot and is killed and it's like the opening sequence to the film uh, sorry to the game and I'm sat there with a friend from uni trying to like choke back the tears to sort of not look like I'm you know sad or <laughs> like I'm about to cry about a, a video game or whatever these days I wouldn't care I would just cry um but yeah back then I I guess I had some sort of pride or something I don't know um but as opening sequences to games go it was just so powerful because the first person you play as is Sarah so you're sort of as a as a you know a spectator or a player of the game you're sort of lulled into a false sense of security that this is like one of the characters you're going to be throughout the game um and you I don't even know if you play oh you play as Joel yeah like just before she dies basically and it's just like the vocal performance from um well Pedro Pascal plays him in the thing Troy Baker sorry is his name Troy Baker plays Joel in the in the video game and the vocal performance he gives like crying trying to keep her alive and things it's just so moving but it's so bleak straight away you're like oh this is bleak uh, and I think they absolutely nailed it in the tv show um but a lot of the things they did really well in the in at least in the first episode of the TV show was things like uh taking away the what the elements that are necessary for the game so like the tutorial style bits teaching you how to play teaching you how to interact with scenery or pick up items or whatever like there's a whole bit in the game you may remember if you've played it where um, when you have to go looking for Robert, which is after the time jump. In, sorry, I'm going to be all over the map with this because I'm trying to basically pick up points that were already discussed in a podcast. Uh, but yeah, so in the TV show, uh, there's a 20-year time jump, same as there is in the game, to the future after all the apocalyptic stuff has gone on with this fungal infection. Um, and the character Tess has basically been jumped by the character Robert and his thugs and then in the game you go to hunt them down and that acts as a lot of the tutorial you know you get used to running and climbing and shooting and combat and all those sorts of things whereas in the game sorry in the show they give you the plot points and then they just sort of move on and it goes more or less straight to you know the the, the consequences of that little conflict and and the involvement of the fireflies and everything i'm very loosely sort of explaining it because you you know you've already seen it and the point i'm trying to get to is that it's very intelligent for the show to realize that that would just be considered like unnecessary fluff in the tv show but what is important is to put the plot points in there and then to sort of fill the gaps instead we get a few additional bits to show what life is like in the future so you know in the game you play through certain parts of it and you you know first-hand experience what life is like in that future where the virus has been everywhere but in the show what they do instead is you know you have joel doing some very depressing kind of uh jobs like he's literally burning corpses that have been infected and since sort of killed and he's asking about doing sewer maintenance stuff because it pays better so he can get more rations and all this really kind of bleak depressing shit um so i thought that was really intelligent for them to 
because they're they're being faithful to the storyline but then they're giving us a few extra treats whereas the game obviously has the storyline and then in replacement of those extra treats they have gameplay uh i hope that made sense uh let's talk about the casting so we have the absolutely fantastic pedro pascal as joel um pedro pascal being the dinjarin and mandalorian um the viper from game of thrones uh, he's in loads lately he's absolutely killing it dude's got mandalorian season three coming out this year last year he was in boba fett and i can't remember if it was last year or the year before was mandalorian season two he's in all these films he's in that film with nick cage um and now the last of us is coming out like the dude is killing it he's everywhere initially uh i was a little bit skeptical not skeptical because i know he's a really good actor but you know they, they do all those fan casting things like who would you want to see in the show and all of that initially i was a bit like josh brolin or bust like i couldn't really see beyond josh brolin as anyone being a good casting choice partly it's because josh brolin is I pr i'm pretty sure he's from texas same as the character joel uh he has the look you know the dark hair he's sort of quite um quite butch you know he, he really beefed up for cable but like the thing is with the character joel is he's a big strong guy but he's big and strong the way like a bricklayer or a manual laborer is he's not big and strong the way like a gym buff or like gym freak is so it's a very different type of physique you know um and i'd seen pedro pascal in i mean it's hard to tell in the mandalorian because he's covered in the mandalorian armor which makes him look bigger but i'd seen him in um triple front or triple frontier that film with like charlie hannam and matt damon and then there he looked quite slim and i was like well i hope he beefs up then if he's gonna play joel but not beef up the way that you know someone would for a superhero role because like i said it's a very different type of of physique and muscle um but yeah no he he really looks the part he he put on some put on some pounds for it um he's got the hair he's got the beard and he does have that kind of like gruff vocal kind of performance um and he's put like a slight texas twang onto it too which is really good because uh, yeah i mean it joel for me is just a, a, a texan like it would have been poor i think if they'd skirted around that just making sure that was still recording um so yeah i i thought he's absolutely nailed it um and apparently both bella ramsey and pedro pascal bella ramsey being uh ellie apparently they were told not to play the game so that they can keep their takes on the characters you know keep them a bit more original and a bit more fresh but i suppose the script is so uh and the characters are so sort of uh not thought out but like well thought out and and pre you're presented with a lot of character detail be it in one-liners that contain a certain amount of backstory or a certain amount of characterization behind them you know it could be like the way they banter with people or how short a temper they have or anything like that that the performances have been kind of what you would want to see from these characters anyway 
So that's quite nice. That to me that implies a really good like script script adaptation from the game to the screen. And I suppose it helps that Neil Druckmann, the one of the creators or at least the like studio head of PlayStation, um, so huge involvement in the Last of Us game, is also heavily involved in the Last of Us TV show. So that's good. Um Bella Ramsey though, casting wise, although she's fantastic in, in Game of Game of Thrones, don't get me wrong. But I was a little bit like, huh, I don't know if I see her as Ellie. I was like, you know, I'll watch it with an open mind and we'll see what's what. And hopefully she'll be good. And I thought she was really good. I thought she was really good. She definitely has that uh, take no bullshit kind of attitude, which I suppose we saw in Game of Thrones anyway, that she has that take no bullshit attitude. Uh, but yeah, she definitely has it in spades in The Last of Us TV show. Um a few of the ad- additional bits that they threw in, I thought were really cool. Like that that opening scene. Ah, where you got the geezer from the mummy. What's his, what's his name? Um, ah, fuck. I'll have to find that in a bit. Uh, but yeah, the bloke from the mummy. Uh, I hadn't seen him in a lot of stuff recently, but he's there in the opening scene, and they're doing like a very. It, it gets time stamped that it's from the sixties. And they're doing like a chat show. But then it solidifies to the viewer even more that it is, you know, of of that particular time just by small things like the fact that they're smoking on stage while they do this talk show. This, you know, the clothes and everything. Uh, but the, the direction of that scene in particular, I, straight away, I because it's the opening scene, straight away I was like, this is going to be a well-directed show. Because it's just small stuff. Like when... Because obviously they're doing a talk show in front of a live audience, right? So when he's talking to the interviewer head on, it's sort of like mids on them both, maybe a a wide just on them. And then when he might turn to address the studio audience, the shot becomes very wide and we see a few of the the backs of heads of people in the audience and we even it goes wide enough that you can even see, you know, behind the stage set, you know, so you start seeing lighting rigs and things like that. Um, I just thought that was really, really intelligent. And then when he's, because they're they're interviewing them basically about if you can't remember, they're interviewing them about the uh, the idea of a fungus um, causing like a pandemic level event, uh, you know, by sort of infecting humans and things like that. So when the conversation starts to get very serious in terms of what the actual implications of that would be. We then get a few close-ups, specifically on the professor's face, the geezer from the mummy. Um, so straight away I was like, okay, yeah, this is going to be good. And then there was a nice few sort of horror-style creepy elements, like when Ellie go, sorry, when Sarah, Joel's daughter, goes to their neighbor's house. Because there's an elderly neighbor next door and it's good for her to have sort of social interaction and things. So quite often Sarah and Joel will... We'll do that. Um, so she goes over there. And there's a shot of Ellie with her back, sorry, Sarah with her back to the grandma sat in a chair. And the grandma's out of focus. But her mouth starts opening and, and being a bit weird. And we can't quite see what's going on. And I think her head nods a little bit. And I was just like, oh, Sarah, turn around, turn around. You just because you can see the danger but you can't make out what the danger is because it's out of focus 
and I'm pretty sure the score was a little bit spooky at that point as well. It was just a really cool way to like up some tension. Um, and then yeah, so that's that was a few of the the bits that stood out to me that they'd added in. Um, you know that that aren't in the game, but then the bits they not copy and pasted in in the lazy sense of the word, but like accurately uh, portrayed in the show were bits like the when they're in the truck. So when the pandemic has like started, you know, when people are getting infected and attacking people and spreading the virus or the infection, whatever you want to call it, uh, and they. Tommy, which is Joel's brother, if you can't remember, and Joel driving with uh, Sarah in the back. In the game, that's a really, really intense moment. Like, you're driving through, you're seeing a lot of carnage, people attacking people, dead bodies, houses and barns and things like that on fire. Um, and then it, that gets really intense when you then go to a more populated area and there's just people running rampant. You don't know if they're running away from infected, what they're running away from, if there's any infected in amongst all these people running. And they literally like did that to a T in the TV show. The camera was inside the car, same as it is in the game, just sort of pivoting and turning around, giving you like uh, Sarah's perspective on the whole thing. It was a really, really, really good sequence. It must have been an absolute ball ache to um, not schedule, but like, get all those extras, you know, running around the car to not get fucking run over because, like, there's, like, 50 people running in front of the car and then, so then the, they have to reverse it and the camera spins around so you can look behind you and there's, like, 20 people running behind it and they have to, you know, navigate their way around them. So I, I'm pretty... It, lo it looked pretty legit to me. I may have to rewatch it, but it looked legit to me in the sense that it was just a car, like, going through this crowd of people. But it may have been the car in a green screen green screen studio and then the people running around was like superimposed onto it but i'm pretty sure it didn't look like that um yeah uh so stuff like that was really bloody good and then the sequence where they leave boston so after the 20 year time jump into the future where you have boston uh, which is like a, a city that they've turned into a kind of stronghold you know um a safe zone from the infected the um when they leave to escort ellie away from there and you know it's all under the cover of darkness there's a bit of rain they bump into the security guard who's supposed to be joel's friend he does a quick infection test on ellie which turns out to be positive, but then she shows the the arm where she was infected and is like, look, this is three weeks old. I'm not sick. I'm fine. Uh, and Joel has already beaten the security guard to a pulp. It's like, yeah, there were. It was, it was more or less to a T of what it is in the game. But obviously, like, it's more drawn out in the game. There's a bit more that you do, a bit more ducking and diving and dodging spotlights and stuff. Because that is, you know, interactive gameplay. Whereas in on on screen, you only need to show them dodging a spotlight like once or twice before the audience gets bored. Whereas when you're physically playing it and controlling it, you're more involved in it. So it was nice that they just condense it, get rid of the excess, 
because in the in the TV show version it is excess, whereas in the gameplay version it's necessary. Well, not necessary. It's more fun because, like I say, you're the one doing it. Um. Yeah. So they they do seem apart from a few little added bits, like I've already said. Uh, they do seem to be following it more or less to the story beats of the game, which I'm fine with. Um, I wasn't sure if they were going to deviate from it because, as I've definitely said in different podcasts, specifically the one about uh, Rings of Power and um, Lord of the Rings, is that if something does deviate from its source material, you know, be that a book or a game or anything like that, then in the film or the TV version, if the plot points are changed somewhat, I'm not too bothered because if you've already read it or played it or whatever, then you know the story beats, you know where it's going to go. So a lot of things aren't a surprise to you. So if there's ever a moment where, you know, it's set up that someone could be about to be killed or something, you might be like, well, I... I, I have no peril as a viewer because I know that they survive because they do X, Y, Z later on because that happened in the book, right? Whereas if a game, cha uh, sorry, if a TV show or, or whatever it is, the adaptation, if it changes things, then you can be a bit more invested because you're, not that you can be more invested, you could still be equally invested, but you could be more surprised. You know, so like The Walking Dead is a really good example so spoiler alert for The Walking Dead, I want to say season seven or eight. Uh, the It's the one where Negan gets introduced, right? So if you are watching The Walking Dead and you haven't yet been introduced to Negan and you would like to avoid spoilers, stop listening now. But in the comic of The Walking Dead, the character Abraham gets killed really early, well, earlier on than Negan's introduction by an arrow in the back of the head. Comes out through his eye. And in the show, they give that death to a different character. So then when Negan comes along, they kill... Uh, Negan kills Abraham first with the baseball bat. Whereas in the comic, he kills Glenn. So you're like, oh, Glenn might be okay. But then as a double whammy, it does Glenn as well. So that was hella surprising for me because I was like, Abraham? No! Well, at least we still have Glenn. Fuck! No, we don't have Glenn! Shit! You know, it was a, it was a big um, doozy. Anyway, Walking Dead spoilers are over. So, moments like that, I, d I don't mind if they change it. As long as they are faithful enough to other elements of the material. So that could be like the characters themselves. So, for example, Joel, they, they in the show, they absolutely nailed you know him and and sort of what he becomes right so early on he's a loving father he's like having sort of nice fatherly playful sort of jokes and things with his daughter sarah he obviously cares about her quite a lot um he's a good brother to tommy and all of this and then after sarah dies we do the 20 year time jump and he's just like a shell of who he was you know he's like very short-tempered He's drinking a lot. Um, and they show this by... And also, like, he just sort of doesn't give a fuck. He just doesn't care anymore. He seems to only care about Tess and Tommy. Tess being the, the female friend of his and Tommy being his brother. 
So like the first time you see him after the time jump is when I said they're throwing bodies into the uh, into a, uh, a fire pit to be burned, like b- bodies that were infected and have since been killed. Um, and there's a child's body, and his colleague who he's working with says like, oh, I, I I can't do that one. I just can't put that in the fire." And Joel just sort of nonchalantly picks it up, walks over, chucks it in the fire. Like, he's dead inside at this point. He then asks the guy dishing out the chores if he can do the sewer work because it pays better so he can get more rations, like I said a minute ago, because he doesn't give a fuck. Just doesn't care. And I thought they... So where if they made Joel instead, you know, just not that, and made him kind of, I don't know, really like mopey and sad or um, maybe like still somewhat hopeful, you know, a spark of enthusiasm in him or something. I would have been like, well, that's not Joel. That's not game. That's not the game version of Joel. So then when you start deviating from the storyline, you're like, well, this is just a different thing in its entirety. Whereas if at least they're truthful to the core of the characters then they have more freedom, I say, to to bend the rules. It's like you have to understand the rules before you can bend them. Don't break them. So like Resident Evil, I think, is a good example of that. I would argue Resident Evil 1 and 2 were bending the rules. You know, people may, diehard fans of the game may have issues with those two films, but I don't think they're that bad. You know, they're just a good bit of zombie fun. But then as the franchise goes on, I think it just starts breaking the rules a bit. Whereas, you know, something like Rings of Power, um, I won't go into it too much. You can go and listen to my Rings of Power podcast if you haven't already. But like I for for certain reasons they can't do exactly what the like Tolkien written text would say those storylines go. You know, it might be for legal reasons the Tolkien Escape estate hasn't released all of that to Amazon Studios. Um and some of it just doesn't translate well from page to screen anyway. That's true of any novel, not just Tolkien. Um, so, but, but they understand enough about the characters and the way Tolkien writes and the way he describes the world so that when they show you these characters and they show you these worlds that Tolkien has built, you're like, okay, well, this feels like Lord of the Rings. So then when they deviate slightly from the narrative, like I say, either because of legal reasons or whatever, um, you're like, okay, well, I still buy this. And if you're precious precious enough that you only want the original stories, then that's fine. Go read the original stories. But, you know, at least what we're seeing on the films isn't too dissimilar. Like, people praise Nolan for it when he makes, you know, Bane more realistic or instead of having all that Venom shit that hulks him out, he has, like, a painkiller mask on, essentially. You know? And he just makes things fit his kind of style so i i yeah it's it's fine to do that i sort of wrap myself up in too many examples and tangents and now i can't remember what the original point was but fuck it kombucha is well good man if you haven't tried kombucha try some out um now this could be a point in the podcast where i go to my sponsors and we do a little bit of advertising and i could be like hey check out this brand buy their stuff and it will benefit your life but i don't have any sponsors of this podcast yet so we're not going to go to an ad break right now we're just going to carry on fucking riffing off the top of my head chat and script baby woo
Actually, what I will say, because I should have done it at the start of the podcast, and I always forget, is wherever you're listening to this, please do rate, review, subscribe. If you're on Spotify, hit the follow button. If you're on YouTube, hit subscribe. If you're on any other medium, there'll either be a subscribe or a follow, whatever it is. Please click those. Please also follow the social media pages. It's all at Chatting Script on Instagram, on Twitter, and then obviously the YouTube, the Spotify, the Apple, the Google pods. All of it is at Chatting Script or just Chatting Script. You will find it. Please do follow the social media accounts. Feel free to comment on stuff. Yeah, do do that. Thank you for do doing that. Um, what else do I want to say? Oh, yeah, so... Uh, basically the last of us tv show so far so bloody good and the games as well absolutely fantastic it's it's is it the best narrative i've ever played in the game if uh, talking about one and two as a whole if it's not it's like top it's top three for sure but it's probably top two um because like so the first game Massive spoilers coming ahead. The first game, you know, you got Joel loses Sarah. 20 years later, Ellie pops up. They go on a cross-country a cross country expedition to try and get Ellie to the Fireflies um, because where she's immune, that can be used for the benefit of all mankind. Pardon me. Oh, along the way, they form a father and daughter-style bond that makes Joel regain an element of his humanity, having gone, you know, cold and dead behind the eyes, basically, after the death of Sarah and spending 20 years in a fucking apocalypse. Can't blame him. It would happen to most people. Um, so then right at the end, uh, Joel finds out that the only way the, like, supposed doctors and stuff can utilise Ellie's immunity will ultimately be by killing her, uh, you know, for the betterment of mankind. But when you're going through it, you can listen to these little voice recording tapes and stuff, like voice memo tapes that the doctors have left around. And it becomes apparent that there's, I think, like maybe a 60% chance it, it, it will actually work. So they may just end up killing. There's like a 40% chance that she'll die and it will be for nothing. Whereas I think there's a 60% chance that she'll die and it will be worthwhile. Uh, but basically, as I'm sure you can imagine, or I'm sure you already know, Joel decides, fuck that shit, I lost a daughter 20 years ago, I'm not going to lose another one now. Kills everybody. Everybody kills the fucking lot of them. And gets Ellie out. And cue the second game. We start off as Ellie, we meet a random group of people, as Joel. Uh, they fucking kill Joel in a really, really brutal way in front of Ellie and then you spend the entire first half of the second game as Ellie hunting down the people that killed Joel and like as a game player you're like these absolutely filthy pieces of shit I am gonna annihilate them when I find them you're like spitting blood because obviously you've spent an entire first game playing as Joel learning to love this character and then they take him away from you and you're like, absolutely not. As soon as I meet these people, cutting heads off. And then you play the second half of the game as the person who killed Joel. And 
initially I was like, I don't want to play as this bitch. Fuck this person. Why would I? No. But I still played it. And then what it does is it basically... The, the game works... Because at least me and most people I've spoken to, you end up also liking that character because the game puts you through hell as her. So what it does is it shows you that there's always two sides to the coin. So the reason that she killed Joel was because her father was the main doctor scientist person that Joel kills at the end of the first one, right? As I'm sure you already know. If you didn't know, spoiler alert. And what it does is it shows you that there's always like the, the two sides, you know, meaning that from Ellie and Joel's perspective, those guys are the enemy. It's a kill or be killed world. You're just in the way. And then it shows you as well from their perspective that they have friends and loved ones and people they care about, you know, and they've lost people that hurt them deeply, this, that and the other. And it really puts you through the ringer with them as well so that you are like, fuck, man, people are just people. Everybody wants to survive. Everybody wants to love. Everybody wants to have friends. And sorry if this is getting a little bit kumbaya, but you feel me, right? So... And that's that's what the whole point of the second game is. It's just like, because the final sequence of the game, you're like fighting, so Abby is the character that killed Joel. You're fighting Abby as Ellie and there's a moment where you're like trying to stab her with your little pocket knife thing and you've got like button mash, like X or square or whatever to, to get her to do it. And you're mashing the button like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to stab this. Like I, I get where this person's coming from now. I've spent, you know, however long in their shoes and really, really powerful stuff because, you know, you you could maybe be a little bit stubborn or maybe even a little bit immoral and be playing that game and just being like, nah, still, fuck this person or whatever. But it it kind of, at least for me, it kind of makes it impossible for you to not be super empathetic about it and really understand what it is like to be in their shoes. Uh, it's super powerful. It's it's up there. I think the second one is better because than the first Last of Us, simply because it's the most manipulated I've ever felt by a game, <laughs> and I mean manipulated in the best way. Because literally, you you are at the beginning, or at least I'm just gonna say from my point of view. At the beginning, I was like, "Fuck this person! I'm gonna kill him," and then by the end, I'm like, "Shit! I just want them to be alive." You know, I just want everybody to sort of be friends um and you see it, the storyline is brilliant because it shows you how much like pure hatred and a lust for revenge can ultimately be a hindrance or a downfall towards yourself so like there's an opportunity where that ellie has to like settle down with someone she loves and they they get hold of a, a baby somehow i can't remember how but they get a baby and they literally have this like really nice ranch house in the in the middle of like a field. It's all fenced off. So if they get attacked by any infected, they should be OK. Really picturesque, nice way to sort of like see out the rest of your days in the apocalypse. A kind of beautiful luxury that very few people in that world will be able to have. They're incredibly lucky to have that world. And then she there's, she makes a decision to walk away from it to continue her pursuit of revenge 
of Joel's death by killing Abby. And then the rest of her life, when she she tries to go back to that picturesque life and it's gone. The person she loved is gone. The baby is gone. Um, throughout the, like, there's a, a really touching sort of thing that's uh, a follow-on from the first game is that Joel is teaching Ellie how to play guitar. And there's a lot of different moments throughout the second one where you actually get a chance to pick up a guitar and play it. And it becomes like quite an important part of Ellie's character, both in terms of remembering the good times with Joel and building new happy times with her new partner. Um, and then by the end of the game, she's had her fingers bitten off, so she can't even play the guitar anymore. It's really fucking tragically moving. Um, there was something else I was going to say about it. But I can't remember now. So I might just move on and start talking about other games with equally kind of powerful storylines. Um, one of those being Red Dead Redemption 2. So actually comparatively to like the whole either Sarah dying at the start of The Last of Us or Joel dying at the start of The Last of Us 2. Is, has anyone played Red Dead Redemption um, which people mistake for being the first in that franchise. Red Dead Revolver was first, then Red Dead Redemption, and then Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, but Red Dead Redemption, if those of you can't remember or haven't played it, about to spoil it, going to spoil Red Dead Redemption 2 as well. So you spend the entire Red Dead Redemption playing as John Marston. Marston! Um, and you're like basically kind of blackmailed by sheriffs or, or whoever into hunting down members of your former gang with the, the the carrot to that sort of stick being that you'll have freedom at the end of it and you'll no longer have you know like a bounty on your head or, or whatever it is and then so you do all of that you know you arrest these other gang members or you kill them and get the bounties on them whatever it is and then right at the end you think you're home free and the people that hired you to do this at the start betray you. They're like, you've done all your our dirty work and got rid of all those people, but your name is still on that list, and now we're going to get rid of you. And there's a really, really epic scene where he's trying to basically um, make a last stand so his family can get away, and all the sheriffs and that are outside his barn, locked and loaded waiting for him you kick open the doors to the barn and you're gonna try and blow as many of them away as you can but ultimately it's like fucking 10 or 11 dudes or maybe even more than that against him and he gets shot to shit and he dies and at the time you're like oh my god that's the character i've just spent i don't know how many hours of gameplay playing could be like 50 60 hours so you're invested in this guy and yeah they just fucking kill him off and it's it's really sad and then in red dead redemption 2 it's a throw it's a flashback sorry it's like a prequel essentially where you play most of it as arthur morgan who was john marston's friend in that gang that you spend the whole first game tracking down and killing and then right near the end of that second game the character you've been playing as arthur morgan there's a few different it's one of those games that has like multiple um ways it can go down like depending on choices you've made in the game and the way it went down for me is you essentially go out in a blaze of glory on the side of a mountain um 
making a, a last stand of sorts so that Marston and his family, John Marston and his family can get away. And it's really bloody epic. Um, and it made me tear up and cry. But there's a few other points in that game as well, in the second one, Red Dead Redemption 2, that I that I cried as well. Like, it, it may sound silly to some people, but you, you're one of the sort of pure of heart characters in that game in the sense that, like, you really do care about the the kind of gang that you're in because it, it is more of like a family and a unit than just like a gang of cutthroats. There are a few of them in the gang, but most of them are like decent, solid people that just, you know, are criminals for one reason or another. And there's a bit where, if you remember, if you've played it, where they go, uh, they end up getting shipwrecked and they end up on some island. And then when they get back, the rest of the gang that have stayed on the mainland are like, you know, heavily, heavily pursued by law enforcement and bounty hunters and all that sort of stuff that they're like driven to this like swampy place in the middle of nowhere. And you have to go uh, like find them. And there's this montage where literally all it is, is like um, Arthur Morgan riding his horse through, you know, countryside with some cool imagery over the top of it and like a soundtrack and it's all just like he's just gunning this horse as fast as he can to try and get back to his like essentially his family the the gang to try and save them and I just started crying because I was just like I just wanted to save the family I just wanted to make sure they were okay and I wanted to like get everybody into a good place again because literally from the get-go in that game shit is going downhill the whole game is a is a slow gradual slide downhill <laughs> it's crazy it's so bloody good though the storyline is ridiculous and the voice acting is insane and the characters are amazing and the scenery and ah, oh, just it's a masterpiece that game it's fucking masterpiece so I can never really decide if that or The Last of Us are my favourite narratively, game-wise. But then there's a few absolute stone-cold classics that I may love due to a sense of nostalgia. Maybe now if I played them back through, if I could get over the sort of dated gameplay, I may not appreciate the stories as much, but I'm pretty sure I would. And I'm talking about stories like Grand Theft Auto Vice City or Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Don't get me wrong, like GTA 4 and 5 were great stories too in their own right but I think Vice City and San Andreas were very special um for those that don't know Vice City was well at least I'm pretty sure it was heavily inspired by Scarface you know it's in a sort of Miami style location there's a massive mansion that you get through like criminal stuff it's very similar to Tony Montana's mansion there's a huge shootout in it at the end um so the whole story the whole game is just littered with like really kind of cool, you know, action sequences or uh, just kooky off their nut characters. Uh, and then San Andreas, I'm sure most people will know this, um, is just like literally. Well, to be fair, most GTA games, you 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 start in and around the gutter and you build yourself up to a big time player, right? But with San Andreas, you have this, like, the Grove Street... Is it the Grove Street boys or whatever they are? The, it's the Grove Street gang, something like that. 
um, that you're kind of exiled from. You come back. You have to gain everyone's respect again. Then there's some betrayal um, involving corrupt police officers. The main one of which, the main villain in the whole game, is voiced by Samuel L. Jackson. So, if that isn't a selling point for you, I don't know what is. But there's an all-star cast littered throughout. Oh, and GTA Vice City, the main guy you play, Tommy Vassetti, he's voiced by Ray Liotta. R.I.P. So, yeah, GTA... Well, again, it's a Rockstar game. Same as Red Dead is a Rockstar game. All Their casts are always stunning. They're always absolutely on point. Um... But yeah, the GTA storyline, there's far too many story beats and things in it for me to recite all of them. Um, and plus, I can't remember most of them. It's a PS2 game, so it's been a long time since I played it. And I didn't play the remaster of it because apparently it sucked. So there we go. Um, but yeah, that's fucking, that's up there. Um, yeah, I think I might stop here to save everybody's eardrums anymore. Um, sorry, this was a bit of a rushed all around the houses kind of podcast. But like I say, the one that I did record didn't end up really working. So, yeah. And again, please do rate, review, subscribe. Subscribe to Spotify or follow on Spotify. Subscribe to YouTube. Subscribe to anywhere else that you're listening to it. Um, follow at Chatting Script on Twitter and Instagram. And be nice in the comment sections. Um, <laughs> dudes, the... <laughs> I knew it was going to piss off Star Wars fans, but the last podcast I did was the um, uh, my defense of The Last Jedi and why it's a fantastic film. And like the only comments I've had in any comment section on it has just been like really bitchy Star Wars fans being like, no, that film's crap. Meh. I stopped listening to your podcast the moment you said it was good. Good. Don't fucking listen to it. Eat shit. It's a great film. Fuck you. Bye, everybody.